Whether you're an entrepreneur, event planner, political organizer, video producer, cattle farmer, fashion designer, architect, real estate agent, or magazine editor, Airtable can help you create your way. Learn more and get a special offer for the Founders Project listeners at Airtable.com slash Founders Project. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their stories of guts, inspiration, and drive. This week, meet Aaron Levy, co-founder and CEO of Box, the enterprise content management platform. Aaron launched Box in 2005 after dropping out of USC in his junior year. He's the visionary behind Box's product platform, which now enables more than 95,000 enterprise customers to manage content in the cloud. Aaron brought the company public in 2015, and Box currently has a market cap of nearly $3 billion. Wow. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, thanks for uh, for having me. Although $3 billion these days uh, with uh, with the latest IPOs is uh, <laughs> is looking pretty conservative. Um, not at all. But everybody, before we dive in, Aaron just had a baby two weeks ago, baby boy Max. Aaron, how are you doing? You're a father. I am a father now. Um, it's I, it, we just had his uh, three week birthday. We're uh, we're super excited. You know, people aren't getting that much sleep. Although I, my wife is getting a lot less sleep than I am, um, but it's uh, it's been so far yeah, pretty fantastic. So we're having a lot of fun. Um, that's wonderful. And, well, and congratulations to you on uh, on your your latest. On my yes, uh, little babies are everywhere. Uh, they're very cute, aren't they? Yeah, very. Okay, so um, Aaron, I want to just quickly uh, start from the beginning. Yeah. Walk us through you dropping out of school and and going to lean into building box. Everybody always wants to hear the story. The Founders Project listeners are always interested in your own emotional journey. Talk us through that. Yeah. So I think, uh, you, you know, for us, my kind of co-founders and I, we uh, all throughout high school built lots of different projects and websites and um, and none of them got any you know traction or took off. And so we had uh, years and years of experience of, of being failed entrepreneurs. And uh, in college, we kind of ran into this problem of it was way too difficult and complicated just to be able to share data and, and be able to work from you know any device and work with anyone and be able to work from anywhere. And so, um, so we got this idea of, well, what if you could just put the data securely in the cloud and then make it accessible from your web browser and different devices. And and that was the origin of the, the company. It was a really simple idea. And we sort of launched the initial prototype online and people started signing up. And, you know, we had this sort of like, holy crap moment, like this might really be a big idea. And this was back in um, uh, early 2005. So um, obviously the cloud was a pretty new concept at the time. Mobile was, this was before the iPhone, but but you could kind of see mobile was starting to take off. The internet was getting a little bit faster. And, and we just got lucky that, you know, three or four really big macro trends all aligned at the same time and let us get this, uh, th- this idea off the ground. And that was, that was sort of the, the, uh, the origin. So that was our sophomore year of, uh, of college back in 05. You just made everybody listening feel so uh, ridiculous about their sophomore years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because... Well, um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, 
were like I, drinking uh, beer and you know, uh, like you know, in a mud pit somewhere watching a football game. <laughs> it, it helped that I didn't get invited to any of the good parties. So, um, <laughs> so I think that was certainly a, a contributing factor. That's amazing. Um, so, okay, I, I want you to say it in plain English because Box now has a, almost a hundred thousand enterprise customers yep. to the uh, likes of Coca Cola, General Electric, etc. But for anybody who maybe um, totally does not understand what Box does, say it in yeah. plain English. Yeah, so um, we help small, medium, large organizations uh, be able to securely manage their corporate information and then be able to share and collaborate on that data with anyone. So if you're a, a bank or a financial institution, the ability to collaborate securely with your clients. If you're a pharmaceutical or life sciences company, you can um, uh, work with researchers and collaborate around the world to develop new medical discoveries. If you're a media company like Disney or Pixar, you can collaborate on the latest you know, movie scripts and be able to share um, and produce films and, and, you know, launch new marketing campaigns. So all of that data, the documents, the media files, the um, all of that digital information, we've built a platform to help companies be able to securely manage and collaborate around that information. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so I want to go back to some of the early days because you famously yeah. got Mark Cuban to invest off a cold email. Walk us through how you approach fundraising and uh, just t- tell us some of those moments where you were like, yeah, and then I just cold emailed Mark Cuban. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's always funny because uh, Mark Cuban, uh, to his credit, was, uh, you know, responded and then ultimately invested. But, you know, we rarely talk about the, you know, 50 cold emails that nobody responded to. And and so we were really trying to, to reach out to literally any investor uh, that would possibly listen to the pitch. And uh, I was uh, 20 at the time. My co-founder was 19 at the time. And we uh, had for the summer between our sophomore year and our junior year, we were trying to raise um, more traditional venture capital. So we were in Seattle trying to raise venture capital and got uh, rejected by by every single uh, investor we met with. And, you know, there was a variety of factors. Investors thought, you know, how are you really, you know, as a 20 year old or a 19 year old, how are you going to build a company that's going to go somehow compete with, you know, the biggest technology companies on the planet? Um, some people just didn't even believe in the idea. Are people really going to put their data in the cloud? Are they really going to trust their information in, in these other systems? And then I think, you know, some investors were just uh, thinking like this was the wrong team to go build the company. My co-founder, who is who's our CFO, he looked like he was 11 years old. Um, <laughs> so he had a, more of a growth spurt in his mid-20s. Aaron, um, you currently look like you're maybe a 12 years old. So <laughs> OK, well, uh, that my hair is uh, suggesting otherwise. Um, so uh, we had no uh, ability to, to raise venture capital. So it really required somebody like Mark. Cuban to, to basically say, you know what, you know, I'm going to take a flyer on this team. And, um, you know, I like the idea. And, and so we sent him a cold email. He responded within a few hours. Um, and within a couple of weeks, without even meeting him in person, um, he had written us a check for the company to invest a few hundred thousand dollars. So we went back to college for the, the next uh, semester in our junior year. And it got to a point where we were juggling so many tasks on growing the business and going to school um, that, that we ultimately had to make a, a decision of kind of which path do we want to pursue. So we decided to drop out. It was definitely difficult. Had to leave some, some great friends uh, at, in college. And, and, uh, but we really wanted to go pursue this idea. And, and so we moved to Silicon Valley, the Bay Area. I, I have an uncle that had a little bit of extra space uh, that we could live out of in Berkeley. 
So we we actually lived in a garage that was renovated, um, and uh, three of us slept in one of the garages, and one of the uh, the co-founders slept in another garage. And it was uh, it was mayhem for the first uh, kind of nine months or so as, as after we dropped out. I mean, every single possible problem in the startup existed. We didn't really know our business model. The the site was having lots of issues, so we were we would be up 24 hours a day. We uh, we were you know n- not having necessarily the best experience looking for the next round of capital. Mark Cuban actually wanted to pull out his investment. So um, we ultimately had to contend with our first investor, you know, wanting to uh, uh, get his money back. So that kind of created a whole crisis. And, uh, and so we were dealing with everything. And then eventually it hit us um, after we raised our Series A that, you know, one of the struggles we were having was just not really knowing what kind of business we wanted to build. And we were at this kind of major juncture where we either had to build a really great consumer company, which was going to have a bunch of characteristics on, on our strategy and the team we would hire and the, the business model, or we had to go and build an enterprise software company. And um, that equally had a number of changes of the kind of talent we needed, the business model, the type of software we were going to build, the types of customers we were going to go serve. And, uh, and then we ultimately uh, decided to pivot the business and go from consumer to enterprise um, about a year and a half into the company um, or maybe two years into the company. And, um, and then that's you know, what, what certainly launched us into the, today's strategy. So that was about yeah, 11 or 12 years ago now. So I just want to double click on something and go a little bit deeper. So I also dropped out of business school in 2008. Uh, I dropped out of Harvard Business School and I had no co-founders and I was trying to start LearnVest and I had lots of oh, notes geez. and it was it was pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, you just like with a big smile on your face, just recounted. You were like, everybody said no. Like Mark yeah. Cuban agreed to invest, but then want to take his money out. And lots of other people were saying, no, you're sleeping in a garage. I can like visualize it. Really go back to those early days for everybody that's listening. That's also, you know, an entrepreneur thinking about betting on themselves. And like, how did you like truly what kept you going? Like, yeah. what was the thing that kept you saying, all right, this is going to work. We got to figure it out. What was the little voice inside your head telling you so that yeah. you kept leaning into that pain? Well, it was mostly just Red Bull, actually. Um, so that was the that was the voice, and that powered a lot of my own internal voices. But um, uh, but I, you know, I think much like you, I mean, you you get the you get this idea that you're super passionate about, and you believe that someone's going to do this idea. It's either going to be us or somebody else, and so we might not be able to make it. We might, you know, have a, you know, a bunch of problems and a bunch of things go, go wrong, but we know for a fact, this is what the future is going to look like. And so having a North star that you are unbelievably clear on that you have a, a high degree of conviction about, and that, that you believe that again, if you don't do it, somebody else will. So you might as well at least be the first to try that. I think probably powered more of our energy than, than anything else. And I think you have to be deeply passionate about what you're doing. I've, I've seen you know too many entrepreneurs fail because they were only doing an idea because it happened to be a fad or it happened to be a, a you know hot you know area you know at the time but not because they truly were were incredibly passionate and excited about that problem to, enough to get them through all the difficult periods that are that are inevitably going to happen as a startup everything i just described aren't weren't even the the really hard times of the business where we were almost about to fail i mean in none of those periods we were about to fail we just were struggling trying to figure out what we wanted to be when we grew up i mean you know the, the closer to you know failure moments are when you know, 30 venture capitalists on Sand Hill Road reject you and you're down to your last couple hundred thousand dollars in the bank and, and your burn rate is 50,000 a month. So like those are the real moments of, of almost failure. And the way that you get through that is 
you know, certainly hopefully you have a team that, that you like working with and that you're, you're passionate about working with. But more than anything else, you have to believe in the idea and you have to believe that what you're doing and what you're building is going to, you know, hopefully have a significant impact on customers and, and maybe the world. And that if you don't see it through, somebody else will. And so you really want to be a part of, of making that happen. And I think we were able to convince ourselves that, that was the case um, early on in, in building the business. And that got us through all of the ups and downs, the funding rounds that didn't materialize, the customers that maybe, you know, left, the, the employees that, that we didn't end up, you know, hiring. And it was a sort of blow to our, our ego or our strategy. And so um, you really have to just be able to zoom out and think long term about what you're doing and, and how passionate you are about that problem. It's so clear, uh, just getting to spend time with you in person, it's really clear to me that you just don't take no for an answer, um, that you're one of these people who is like, you're saying no, but I'm here and yeah. Right. <laughs> um, well, I think the, um, you know, I may, maybe my version of it was, uh, was definitely that you're saying no, but there's still a couple hundred other people that I can go pitch. So, so we're going to just get right back at it. I remember early on when we were um, fundraising with our early uh, head of business development and, um, and she and I would, would go up and down Sand Hill Road and, and we would um, leave like our third investor meeting of the day where we got the exact same polite response, which is, you know, we're, we're going to go do some analysis on this. And we, you know, we really like the team and like the idea and, and, you know, we'll get back to you soon. And that's sort of all code for you're not going to get the investment. Um, and so we would just like go to McDonald's and I would just like have a cheeseburger and, and essentially cry inside. And, uh, <laughs> but the next day we, uh, we just went right back at it and we were like, well, there's still, you know, 15 other investors and, and you just out. go right back at it and, and you modify the pitch and you, you iterate on the message and you adapt the, the story a little bit. And, and eventually we got to a point where we finally were, were able to convince somebody. And this is our, our series B is, is the, the story I'm referring to. But, um, but yeah, you just have to keep going. So one of the things that's... Uh, how, are your, how are your funding rounds? Like not that uh, dissimilar where uh-huh. uh, I always joked it was easier to raise $35 million in like, a, you know, two days than it was to raise like Seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So true. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, just the the bigger the rounds, the easier it is in so yep. many weird ways. It's very um, unfair. Yeah, and I was like, where are all these pockets when like yeah. I, I needed a dollar? Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, there are plenty of dark days. My husband always jokes that he always knew it was a bad day when I would like just wake up at three o'clock and just pull out my laptop, and I was just like, you have to just yep. start working because it's yep. the only thing that cures the stress. That's um, funny. So so now. Box, fast forward, 70% of Fortune 500 companies use Box. Yep. And when you think about that, what would you say, if you have to rewind, were the two or three things that got you there, got you to mm-hmm. that IPO milestone? What were the two or three best decisions you feel like you ever made? Yeah, I think um, for us, we had this early, um, I guess, insight that we didn't know how important it was going to be, but we we sort of knew that that there was something different we were doing from the rest of the market, and we needed to to exploit it to the the maximum amount. And um, and that was this insight that the future of enterprise software was going to have uh, many more characteristics that looked like and felt like consumer companies than more traditional enterprise software companies. And um, and that was that insight was born out of the, the fact that we started as a consumer company and then ultimately pivoted into the enterprise. But the, the general idea was if you can build software that's incredibly easy to use, that anyone can install or, or sign up for, that can be virally adopted in an organization, that can spread throughout all of the kind of peers or, or throughout the companies that are using that software without any friction, then 
you would have this sort of distribution model that looked a lot more like a consumer company than your traditional enterprise software approach of, you know, every single customer, you have to win one at a time, you have to invest in a massive sales force. Uh, and that's the only way that you're going to go and be able to reach out to your customers. And, and a lot of this was actually embodied in our early business model of really being a freemium enterprise software company. So you can sign up online, try it for free, start to use it. And then ultimately, we would sell you a, a, a subscription for, for your enterprise licenses. And so um, that was in, in kind of 2007, that, that insight, we really kind of codified into the core strategy of the business. And, um, and then really since then, what we've always tried to balance is, can we build a software product that's as simple to use as a consumer tool, but 100% focused on the enterprise and the B2B space? And, um, and that meant that, that you always have sort of this duality of consumer-grade experience, consumer-grade design and, um, and product quality with the ability to serve customers that are large corporations. And we just kept on investing more and more in, in that in that sort of dual approach to building the company. We've always had this interesting hybrid kind of model internally, which is if you go to our engineering team or if you go to our product design teams, it looks a lot more like a consumer company. We release our software every single day. The design methodologies we use, the, the agile software development methodologies we use are, look a lot more like a Facebook or a Google or an Instagram. And though if you go to our enterprise uh, sales team or our customer success teams, that looks a lot more like a more you know, modern enterprise software company like a Salesforce or a Workday. And so we've always kind of combined these two cultures under one organization. And that's, that's I think, been the key to being able to go serve nearly 100,000 customers, 70% of the Fortune 500. Um, but, but I think that the, the lesson for us is you have to be incredibly crisp on what do you see as your differentiation. And then that has to be exploited to the greatest possible degree, because the only reason anybody uses a startup product or a you know, product from a disruptor is, is that it's 10 times better on some dimension than, than what the incumbent is, uh, is doing. It's got to be 10 times cheaper. It's 10 times simpler. It's 10 times faster. It's 10 times better on some kind of key characteristic. And so what we decided was we were going to be 10 times simpler, like a consumer product, but built for the enterprise. And then you have to exploit that again to the highest level. And that, that's what we did early on and, and frankly, what we still focus on to this day. And with that, we'll be right back after this. In the 1990s, an engineer and avid bird watcher named Eiji Nakatsu was fascinated by the way the kingfisher could dive into the water without making a splash. He later designed a new high-speed train for Japan Railway West based on the shape of the Kingfisher's beak, which broke world speed records while reducing noise and energy consumption. This creative breakthrough is brought to you by Airtable. Learn more and get a special offer for Founders Project listeners at airtable.com forward slash Founders Project. So I want to shift just quickly to culture, right? So you yeah. scaled to 2,000 people, yep. which is no small feat. Um, and, you know, I, I myself having managed at one point close to 2,000 people, like it, it's not easy. Um, <laughs> what would yeah. you say is your hiring playbook? How do you think about just people and just I'll leave it there. Hiring yeah. playbook. What is it, Aaron? Yeah, I think um, uh, for us, we have seven core values uh, that, that got defined pretty early in the company's journey. This is about nine years ago or so, where we went and we said, what do we think makes Box different from other companies that people can join, whether that's a big consumer company like a Google or a Facebook or an enterprise company like an Oracle or a Microsoft? 
Um, and we, we sort of listed out these seven core values that we felt made us unique and, and, um, and differentiated from other companies, uh, whether those were consumer enterprise. And, and a couple of them, you know, resemble what you'd expect any, any organization to have. Um, you know, one is, is around ownership and an ownership mindset of if you're going in and solving problems, um, really act and operate like an owner. And this is one that is embodied in a lot of companies um, in Silicon Valley. And another one was, though, that was really important to us as, a, as an enterprise software company because we felt it was very differentiated, uh, was this idea of blowing our customers' minds. That's our literal, the, the first core value of the company is blow our customers' minds. And, and that's really around uh, not only being customer-centric, but going so much beyond what customers are expecting in terms of whether that's the product user experience, whether that's our customer support, whether that's um, you know, how, we, uh, how we sell to them and how we work with them in, in a sales process. So always making sure that we have the most delightful customer experience possible. And, and I think as consumer companies, you hear this all the time, but to bring that to the enterprise space, um, I think what was so unique early on. Um, and then we have a few core values that really are about how we internally are, are going to treat each other, how we're going to be, um, you know, operate with integrity and, and sort of the, the ethics of how we operate um, and build a culture that is, you know, where people can kind of, you know, truly be themselves. And so we have we have seven core values and we said, OK, how are we now going to hire people that can continue to live by those values, but uh, ultimately uh, evolve our culture and continue to, you know, the, the, the classic idea of being a culture ad as opposed to a culture fit? Like, how do we actually expand the universe of talent that we have and the culture that we're creating, but always adhering to these seven core values of of how we want to operate? So we have alignment of what the expectations are around how we're going to make decisions, how we're going to work together, how quickly we're going to make decisions, how we're going to treat each other. Um, and so, you know, we have a hiring process that basically uh, bifurcates into two key parts. One is sort of this idea of just what is the, the individual's technical strengths. And by technical, it could be on, on any dimension, accounting or finance or marketing or sales or engineering. Um, and then the other one is, is really their cultural ad. And how do we assess this individual's ability to, um, to be a part of our culture and, and you know, hopefully continue to evolve it, but make sure that there's someone that's going to be collaborative, that's going to be good to work with, is going to help you know, drive a, a more inclusive environment. And so we, you know, we probably don't get it right all the time, um, but we try our best to sort of look at, uh, at candidates on these two dimensions. And then evaluate, you know, are we bringing on people that we think are going to add to the culture and expand the business and and make sure that we can continue to live by our values? Or is there going to be any you know possible risk of that individual, you know, not not helping us with that? That's awesome. I want to. So I asked everybody this question. And since we're on people, I'm going to ask it of you. When you interview people, what would you say is the question that you like to ask? Because I do think all CEOs get to the point where you kind of have a question that's really it's your question. What is <laughs> your question that you kind of feel like gets to the root or the the the, the core of, of something that you think you really want to know about somebody? Yeah, so I uh, I have to fully admit that I've not necessarily found the holy grail question that like I know exactly the moment they answer that that's like nope they're fired. But I I generally. I, I like uh, hearing about what people would have done differently in different situations and understanding how somebody has dealt with mistakes, um, what they would have done uh, differently. And are they introspective about about the kinds of challenges that they ran into, whether those are people issues, whether those are strategic issues, whether those are market issues. I think the ability to, to, to think through what you could have done differently on any kind of problem that has been solved is really, really important around you know how self-aware is somebody, how much are you thinking about 
the issues in, in your, your business or your organization, I found to be incredibly important to, to discovering how, you know, how thoughtful are people at you know, their area of impact. I love it. That's so helpful. So, okay, now I want to ask you a question. So you, oh you started Box when you were 19, which is crazy. Um, yep. And you've fully taken it public. And I think, you know, in every way on paper, you are an entrepreneur's dream. You have accomplished exactly what entrepreneurs want to accomplish. How much personal growth, like what was the biggest leadership challenge, knowing especially that you were 19? I started Learn Best when I was 23 and definitely had my own personal growth. And I <laughs> I mean, like, Jesus, we don't have enough time for me to tell you everything. <laughs> but for you, what was the kind of leadership evolution? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, I really like to get my hands dirty with everything. Um, there's not a single aspect of the business uh, that I don't enjoy. There are some aspects of the business that I maybe can offer actual value in and then some that I actually am a disaster when I get close to. Um, but in general, I, I enjoy all parts of the, the business. And so my biggest challenge uh, has always been and continues to be this day to this day. So because um, anybody listening who, uh, who works at boxes, um, you know, I, I, I'd hate to have anybody think that I'm uh, being insanely hypocritical or at least not uh, accurate. I think it's, it's always been how do you build uh, systems and processes and scale teams in a way that lets you feel comfortable delegating as much as the business as possible so you don't become the inhibitor to growth uh, of the organization and how do you get out of the way um, so that way people can go do their best work and you can hire the best people that want to go have the biggest impact and in the right ways add value uh you know in the in the places where where you might have a unique perspective or where your tribal knowledge or history of the company can be helpful and, and influence the, you know, the direction of things. So, so this has always been a struggle for me. Um, I think it's probably if, if you, uh, you know, any of my, you know, sort of 360 degree reviews is always about how, you know, how much in the weeds um, I like to get on different projects and, and different things going on. And, um, and so I'm always trying to work to, to sort of zoom out and say, how do I ensure that the team has as much autonomy as possible um, and that we're setting them up for as much success as possible to go out and, and do their best work without, you know, the, the annoyance and, and kind of, you know, randomization that, that sometimes I'll bring to, uh, to areas. So that's, that's been my, my biggest challenge uh, as we've scaled and it's, uh, it's still a work in progress. But uh, how about you? Well, I was going to say my biggest aha moment was once I finally had an executive coach. Uh, I like proactively hired one and I'll never forget it. The executive coach was like, okay, now I'm going to go do a th 360 review on everybody that knows you, including your family. And I remember being like, wait, what did I just sign up for? Like <laughs> my, like literally, you know, my team, the board, my family yeah. and to play it back to me. And I just looked at my husband and then I said to him, I signed up for this, so I should probably just shut up and just oh go with the flow. And yeah. it really was the beginning of, a, I would say, a far better Alexa, for sure. Oh, really? Just every, well, no, just, I believe feedback is really hard to get. Yeah. People don't yeah. really, really tough feedback, things that you don't want to hear. Yeah. Um, nobody actually tells you. And so when yeah. you actually get to hear it, it's really a gift because most people don't want to tell you the thing that you actually yeah. need to hear. But it's, it's, it's a strange gift, though, because it's like a, it's like, to me, at least, it's a gift that, that there's a timer on it because I don't experience it as a gift right away. Um, it's like <laughs> it's like the gift is like three months later is where I actually get the gift that yeah, I know it was so a gift. Uh, immediately it looks like what the fuck like this is like and then I get <laughs> it, it's so tough because I get defensive at first and I'm like no I didn't do it that way or that's not actually the problem or, or they're seeing it wrong and then like after a few hours or, or a couple years you're like 
you're like, oh, that was actually really uh, good feedback. I, I probably should do things differently. Yeah, that's also the whole purpose of what the 360, because they're like when yeah. three different people experience the same thing. No, they're all wrong. What are you talking yeah, about? they're all wrong. All they're of all ever. wrong. I, there's <laughs> lots of things where more than three people are wrong at, about something, and that's, that's how I defend it. I'm like, you know, I, there's, I mean, yeah, everyone's just seeing it wrong. I'm the only person right in this situation. Um, and so I agree with you. The like timer on the gift comes yeah. later. It comes in like, yeah. uh, you know, again, introspection. You like to hear how do people evolve. Um, yeah. But I will say hiring a coach was definitely um, a helpful yeah. thing and it continued to be helpful. And I, I always lean into coaches. Um, so I'm going to just ask a few more quick questions uh, before we run out of time. And one of the things I wanted to ask is when you think about Box in 10 years, like you're such a visionary. You, I mean, 19 years old, you're building an incredible company. You've like, you've swum through mud. I always tell people, people think you get through the finish line of a company with like a beautiful ponytail and your makeup perfectly done. And like, instead you, you limp through the finish line, like a yeah. limb is hanging off. Like totally. you, I, I have, you're uh, starving. I, I, all in the- I have to show is lots of gray hair and, and I have asthma attacks now. So the, <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no ponytail. But so when you fast forward and look 10 years out and you think the, the future of what box can be or yeah. of your industry, what is your wildest imagination? Like, what do you see for the future of your industry? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for, for us specifically at Box and then more broadly, we see a completely different enterprise technology landscape than the one that we have either today or, or especially 10 or 15 years ago where software is, is hard to use. People uh, can't get to the information that they need. They can't share with the people they need. It's incredibly hard to make decisions. Business, it moves very slowly. And, uh, and we see a world where we love our enterprise software. You can work with anyone that you need to work with. You can get access to any of the knowledge um, and the answers that, that you need. You can collaborate in real time with anyone, anywhere. And we can do this across the globe. And so if we think about the impact that we've had thus far relative to what's possible in the future, we think that we're still incredibly early in this journey of what does the future of business look like and what are the, the tools and the technologies uh, that the companies are using. And so, um, you know, when you look at the broader landscape, companies like Slack or Atlassian or Zoom or PagerDuty, all of these companies represent a modern workplace technology stack that we think transforms how work is getting done. And uh, we want to be a, a big you know, piece of that and the place where where the you know corporate knowledge and information is stored and managed, but we are want to work across a landscape of other technologies and partners to go and completely redefine what work looks like in the future. So that's what we get really excited about at uh, at Box. I love that so much, and uh, I can actually just see that like you have so much runway ahead of you in, in terms of how you think about your own business and your own vision. So uh, last, just uh, quick questions here: If you could go back and meet Alexa von Tobel at nineteen and I'm a brand new founder starting a company. What's one piece of advice you would give uh, a future founder? Well, I, you know, for me, I, I mean, the, the the couple things that that I always generally look for in in new startups, and 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 by extension, then um, would would be advices. And it sounds like you you were uh, were you a solo founder? I was a sole founder. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So so particularly in, in, you know, brutal and lonely. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how you did that. That's incredible. I I don't even know where to begin with with that. If I was just a left with my mind to deal with problems <laughs> and not be able to complain to co-founders, um, that would be that would be pretty rough. But um, 
But, you know, I, you know, to the extent that, that there is a founding team, obviously, you know, making sure that that is a, a founding team that uh, you deeply trust, that, that you have a, a lot of faith in, that has a, a complementary set of skills, um, I think is incredibly important. We, I got very lucky that my founding team was one where we had gone to high school together. We kind of grew up together. We all had separate skills that sort of collectively created the foundation and basis of the company. So we, we had it probably on easy mode relative to what you did, but uh, um, but it was really important to, to have that sort of set of different skills come together. Um, so really, really, you know, trusting the, the team that you have um, at the start of the, the business, whether you're a solo founder or, or have a team. So the second thing is, in our case, we had f- probably three or four massive industry and market tailwinds behind us. Um, we had the the growth of mobile, the growth of cloud, the growth of, of just people coming onto the internet, the, the cost of storage and computing dropping pretty rapidly. And so we could ride this sort of wave of multiple technology trends um, that we would be able to, to sort of kind of grow with. And I would say as a startup, the world by default is is sort of static. The world doesn't really want your startup to exist or to, yes. to succeed. Yes. So if you don't have massive tailwinds that are causing your startup to sort of just come crashing into the world, you're really going to be going up against a lot of tough, you know, both, you know, headwinds and just friction as you scale. So making sure you've got, whether they're um, societal, economic, uh, technological tailwinds, make sure that you've got really, really key major market tailwinds that you can ride. And then I would say making sure that you have, you're really crisp on what is your major differentiation uh, that is like, 10x differentiated from the incumbent because the incumbent is going to copy you as quickly as humanly possible. So if you don't have an advantage that they can't replicate because their business model doesn't allow them to replicate it or they don't have the team to replicate it or they don't have the culture to replicate it. If you don't have something that is is a 10 times greater impact from a differentiation standpoint, then I would say really rethink your your approach and, and your business model. That's wonderful. Um, last question, and then I'm going to let yeah. you go. What's one startup that's not Box that we should know about? <laughs> that you should know about? Um, anything new? Well, anything that's exciting you these days? Uh, I, well, there's a lot of a lot of exciting stuff, you know, happening uh, obviously throughout you know tech and broadly. Um, I uh, I'm, I'm sorry that that this is a long answer, just because there's so many cool things. Uh, can I give like a Can I give a fun shout out? Yes, uh, give or, one fun uh, shout out. Yep, perfect. I, uh, am I allowed to uh, just say something that is for a friend? Yes, of course. Oh, okay. Do you like balloons? I love balloons. Do you ever like have like a party at your house and you're like, I never. need to get balloons? I've never had a party at my house where I need a hundred balloons. I want to fill an entire room with balloons for my children. You, you did? I did. Fantastic. How'd you get those balloons? I mean, it was like literally many, many people walked them in big plastic bags. Yes. But like, did they, would they went to like parties, stores yes. or whatever? Yes. Okay, so what if you could get balloons shipped to you more or less overnight? That'd be amazing. Okay, well, instabloons.com uh, <laughs> is uh, is where you want to go. So that's that's my that's my biggest startup bet that I that you, I can provide today. Um, that is a great way to end. So first, clearly, I love that you're like talking about balloons because you have a now three week old baby boy named Max. We're gonna get, uh, we're gonna get a lot of balloons. You deserve a lot of insta balloons. <laughs> um, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody that's listening, if you want to learn more about Box, just check it out at www.box.com and join us next week for the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Aaron, thank you so much. Such a delight. You are a joy. (laughs) 
Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Inks the Founders Project with Alexa Montobel wherever your podcasts are offered.